Hey everyone, it's Stevie Taylor here. Thanks for tuning in. Um, if you're returning, nice to see you again. I'm glad you're still enjoying the podcast. If this is your first episode, welcome and I hope you dig it. Well, we're up to episode 35 already and um, to be honest, I didn't think we'd make it past episode 10. It's been a crazy six months since I started this thing. I've met and spoken to some incredible people, real people with real stories. It's a trip and and I love it. If you want to get in touch with me, to talk to me about the show, to make suggestions on how I can improve the show, suggest someone as a guest, or if you think you should be on the show, please hit me a DM on Facebook or Instagram, at The Gig Life Podcast, or you can email me, thegiglifepodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. I could also use your help to spread the word of the podcast. Please share it on your social medias. Um, tell your friends to check it out. It's free. It always has been free and it always will be free. So again, thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoy episode number 35 with Simon Fishburne. Cheers. My guest today is Simon Fishburne. Simon is a multi-instrumentalist, performing artist and educator. Uh, originally hailing from Sydney, Australia and now living in New York, Simon has been playing the drums since he was 10 and professionally for over 20 years. Having majored in music at high school and later graduating from the Sydney Conservatorium of Music, Simon's passion for a diverse array of musical styles soon made him an in-demand drummer at a young age. He's worked with some of Sydney's top event bands, including The Enormous Horns, Gotham City Horns and Hypnosis, as well as playing and recording for major label artists such as Tanya Bower, Roger Frampton, Anita Spring and Ben Fields. Having moved to New York in early 2012 to further broaden his musical endeavours, it hasn't taken long for this hardworking, fun and easygoing yet gritty drummer from Down Under to establish himself in the New York live music scene. There's many layers to Simon Fishburne and we peel back a few in this conversation. So ladies and gentlemen, sit back and please give it up for Simon Fishburne. Cheers. I think we're rolling. Oh. Simon Fishburne. Hey mate. Welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. Thanks for having me. What's going on? Oh, I'm having a great time in Australia. Yes, you're here for a short time. Two weeks is a short time. Yep. It's still enough time to see family and friends but and a couple of gigs. Yeah. And, uh, you know, enjoy the sunshine when it comes out. We've had some pretty bad weather yep. the last couple of weeks here. Yep. So, um, but it goes very quickly. I just, yeah. there's so many people here, you know. I lived here for 37 years before I went to the States, so that's a good chunk of your life to leave behind. So everyone want to, wants a bit of you. And you're in New York, aren't you? I am. Yep, yep. Living in Brooklyn, New York. Cold. It's right, cold. Right now? Yep. Yep. It's, I don't know what it is, 
I don't want to look. <laughs> <laughs> I'll look. I'll look when I'm on the plane. I'm like, oh, okay, that's what I'm going back to. Damn, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so you head back Sunday, don't you? I do. Yeah. 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 Flight back at uh, 12.30. So. Cool. And still a couple more gigs. You, you played your own show last night, didn't you? I did. Yep. I did. It's the first time I put my own show together in Sydney and um, – Oh, ever? Yeah. yeah. Oh, right, I've cool. always been a side person. Right, you okay. Know? Yep. So I've played with the likes of Paul Wynn and – Craig Calhoun, who I had playing with me last night. Um, and they always like, oh, you're coming to Sydney, great. We'll hook you up with some gigs and stuff. And nothing came about. And I was like, oh, I want to play. So, all right, I'll put on my own show because I've been doing my own shows in New York for the last two, two and a half years. Right. So I can do this. And, uh, yeah, it was a bit of work. Dad was like, you don't want all that hassle while you're here, you know, just enjoy the family and friends and all that. But there was something inside of me just going, look, it's been seven years. I've not cashed in on that experience and that that value of living in New York. And so here I am and, yeah, doing that now and um, going to the next level in my career. That's fantastic. Yeah, about cool. time, really. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and um, who else was in your band last night? Uh, Melinda Jackson uh-huh. on vocals. Right. So she did a little stint with Rogue Traders a mm-hmm. bunch of years ago. I only that. found that out the other day. Yeah. so A couple, couple of nights ago. Right. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she did that. Um, but before that, we, we played in, in wedding bands together. That's how I knew her. Right. Actually, she'll tell the story better than me, but um, <laughs> as she did last night. But I first met her when she was in year 12 and I was teaching at St. Leo's College in Warunga. Um, Teaching music? Yeah, that's yeah. where we first kind of okay. met and she saw me and, and then we kind of got into a band together after that with Paul Wynn and um, and we've had, yeah, quite a history of away gigs and local gigs and just being silly and, you know, away gigs are just so much fun. You know, yep. you go to the country and you get a, you know, do the gig and then you go back to the accommodation and you yeah, have yeah. a few drinks yep. and yep. what, as I said last night, what... Uh, what happens on away gigs stays on away gigs. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> there yeah, were some crazy shenanigans we got up to. Yeah, that's cool. But just awesome memories. And I used to take a video camera around. I used to be that twat with the – Oh, you're that with, guy. I was that guy. No. And at the time people were like, dude, put that freaking camera away. But now they're all like, hey, let's go and watch those videos <laughs> yeah, again, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yep, see, thank you very yeah. much. So yeah, this is before like phone cameras – yeah. Were a thing, you know, you had the little hand camera thing, the handheld things. So. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it was great. And and Paul reminded me that um, the incarnation that I had at one stage, because uh, I also had another friend of mine who I'd played with a lot, Guy Vaughan Smith, who's a fantastic bass player, um, who'd played in these wedding bands with me. He, he got, he, he was at the gig and, and got up and played. And at that stage, I had Mel, Paul, Guy, myself, and then Adrian Cunningham. And that's someone that, you know, you, you might want to chat with. Mm-hmm. So he, he lives in New York, he's an Australian guy, and I studied with him at the conservatorium here in Sydney. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he disappeared to New York. And, and when it came time for me to, to go to New York, I was like, well, who do I know there that I can contact? So he was the guy that I contacted and really helped me out, you know, getting my getting straight on, on what visa to get and how to get over there. And um, he just happened to be in town and was free last night. So he played and... Uh, it was that same away gig that we did in the country and we went back to this house and we played Truth or Dare and you know, <laughs> and that's all I'm saying. <laughs> but I didn't realise but there was the same band. It was like crazy. That's you know? cool. And um, 
who else got up? I think that was about it. That was it. Yeah. So yeah. it was just so much fun. I, I, you can say I'm still smiling right yeah, now man. from yeah, it. Yeah, just yeah. I'm high on that on that gig. It was just crazy and yep. really great venue. And the and the people out there at um, Street Market, Asian Tappers in Crow's Nest are just amazing. So anyone listening that wants to go and see some live music, they're doing a really good thing out there. They're getting a lot of really good um, acts in, and uh, you know Craig's played there and um, Simone. Um, Waddell is going to be playing there um, in a, uh, next, or maybe a couple of weeks, I think. Um, Nick Jeffries has played there. I, I've, I've played with Nick and we went to school together, same school. So, um, yeah, they're doing some really good stuff out there. Awesome. All right, man, let's roll back to the start. Uh-oh. Where it all be? Yeah, oh, yeah, that's where we go. <laughs> that's, that's what this is all about. <laughs> okay, um, so you're born in Sydney, am I right? Yep. Right. Um, music in the family? My parents know. Mum played a little bit of piano, but I got my music gift, she would say, from her father who used to play the harmonica. And I never got to see him play the harmonica because he was in England. All my relatives are from England. That's why I don't have a really Australian accent, you know. It's not really twangy because my parents are British, you see. So I grew (laughs) up like, you know, in Australia, but I was first generation Australian. My sisters were even English. Right. They all immigrated you know, back in 68 and then I was born in 73. Okay. Um, five years later and uh, so I had, you know, two older sisters, 10 and 14 when I was born and my parents. So I had all of that accent around me. But, yeah, so um, my grandfather used to play by ear and he used to play the harmonica. So I think that was one of the first instruments I ever played, that and the recorder. I don't know which came first. Oh, and the melodica. I used to play this little toy melodica as well, which is the piano that you stick in your mouth. Right, with the little square... Square mouthpiece thing. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah now yeah. you can get them with the tube, you know. And, yeah, yeah. And so I yeah. do that. Yeah. Um, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, at the time it was just this thing. I'd just run around the house. So they were the, the first instruments. I think it was the harmonica, the first one, yeah. And then mum put me in piano lessons when I was about four or five and maybe six and I was struggling. Yeah, I was going to say, was, did you dig it? It was hard. I, yeah. I didn't have a good teacher, bless her, Um but it was like, Simon, where's middle C? And I'd be like looking at my mum who was sitting over in the back and mum was like, move, move your left hand. <laughs> you know, so I was like, eh, and she'd be like, no. And I was like, oh, this is horrible. Yeah. So that didn't last very long. Yeah. Um, but because I then had played the recorder, I think it was a natural progression to go to the clarinet. So my next door neighbour's mum was going to put her son into this concert band, this community concert band and came to mum and said, look, you know, he's going to, play the trumpet, would Simon like to join the band as well? And so at that point, you know, I'd played the recorder and that was about it. So then, yeah, we said, what, what about the clarinet? There was a bunch of clarinets that were available. So that's where I got started at the age of seven and it was the Hornsby Concert Band and I drove past the location where the old hall used to be in uh, Normanhurst um, on the way here and uh, it just brought back a lot of memories. That's where I started and we sat there trying to work out how to put this clarinet together and that's where I got my first training is in concert band on the gig, you know, right. in this concert band, not private lessons but in, you know, with a whole bunch of other musicians. So it was really um, nerve-wracking and daunting but managed to sort of get through that and then when I got to high school I had formal lessons. So that was um, that. Was that. And then from there we had a family um, – friends of the family that lived in Brisbane. I don't, I think they were just friends. I think dad used to work with him. Um, So we would drive up to Brisbane every so often and see these people and their son played the drums. And I remember 
this one time seeing this drum kit and I was blown away. It was like, whoa, what is this? And at the end of that little stay, we played, stayed probably, I don't know, two days or something. At the end of that, he gave me a snare drum. I don't think it was a snare drum from that drum kit, but it was a snare drum on a stand with a little cymbal attached to it. You know, yep. like a little... Yep, a little, little um, trap set. Yeah, 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 cool. yeah, and some sticks. And I took that home, stuck it in the in the basement, and Dad was trying to build this um, log uh, fire um, thing in the bottom of the house in the basement. And so he built this, this um, rock kind of display thing and it was like raised up about a foot and so that was you know that became my stage yeah yeah <laughs> that was my very first stage That's awesome at, at about eight or eight or nine or something like that and and i and i stood there and i would just pretend that i was on stage with i don't know who it was back then um probably whoever my sisters were listening to right. being 10 and 14 years older than me you know they and from england they brought a lot of English stuff like David Bowie and Elton John, Spandau Ballet, um, The Police, Duran Duran, just like new romantic yep. stuff. And yep. mum and dad were listening to, you know, Barbara Streisand and classical music as well, Debussy and um, all sorts of different stuff like that. And um, they were my my first um, influences musically. So, you know, and then of course whatever I started listening to on the radio, which probably wasn't until a couple of years later, but then I started listening to some Aussie rock, Crowded House, or whatever was around at that time, <clears throat> and um, just pretending I was. Oh, and you know stuff like um, turning Japanese. I think I'm turning yeah, yeah. Japanese. I yeah. really think so. Yeah. And I don't know how good I was, or if I was just banging away. I don't yeah. know, but I, I used to pretend I was like on stage with those bands, right. just playing. So were you actually time. aware of the drummers, or were you just hearing? Hearing the drums. I don't think so because yeah. I was I was like more wrapped in in the whole thing, the, the whole sound thing, of yeah, it, I, and yep. and also how how bands looked as well. You know, right. like I loved what the new romantics were wearing. You know, and their hair and and um, and the whole image. You know, it was like this serious kind of like looks that they do in photos and stuff, and that was cool. You know, yep. and then you know, so that was all bubbling away, and I was playing the clarinet, and I was doing pretty well because by this stage I would I've been playing the clarinet since I was seven, so you know three or four years and I started doing competitions and doing state competitions and then some national competitions within these concert band circles and um, and doing pretty well there and uh, and then I started getting private lessons at when, when I went to St Pius in my school uh, in Chatswood um, when I was in year five I started in year five there and went through all the way to year 12 and I started getting yeah so getting private clarinet lessons yep. so i was in the concert band there i was also in still in the hornsby concert band yeah and i was sitting there like i was gonna say something other. i was sitting there you know with a bunch of other clarinet players you know trying to get through whatever we were playing and i kept looking over and seeing the, the drummer. drummer yeah yeah you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah i was gonna i was gonna ask <laughs> so uh, and i'd had this little drum at home and i loved playing it but i also used to grab a tennis racket and pretend I was a guitarist yep. as well. So I don't know if it was – I think it was. Just, I was just attracted to performing. Yep. And it didn't matter if it was the drums or the clarinet or, or a, a tennis racket, you yep. know. Yep. Um, so, you know, but when I saw this guy, his name is Mark Feist. Hi, Mark, if you're listening. Um, look me up on Facebook. <laughs> uh, he, he was just the cool – he was badass. He was just cool. He didn't say much. He had the hair. He had dark glasses. He chewed gum because <gasps> you couldn't – you know, when you were younger, you couldn't <laughs> chew gum, but he was chewing gum. What? So he was in year 10. I was in year 5. And somehow he became my first drum teacher. I didn't approach him because I was nervous as hell and, and, and quite a nervous Nelly kind of, you know, like very shy – 
Um, and so I think my mum or someone must have approached him and, and said, look, Simon wants to play the drums. Would you give him some lessons? So he became my first drum teacher. He was in year 10 and I was in year five. So yeah. that kind of started that. But, man, he was, he was, you know, the epitome of like what I really was imagining in my head to be like the drums and the cool look and – um, you know, and everyone loved him and all that. And yeah, some many years later, when I got to year 10, I became that guy, you know, he'd, or he'd left and then I became the number one drummer and I cool. used to do all the school musicals and chew the gum and be, and be in stage band and the, and the concert band and the march, and we didn't have a marching band. We had um, brass band. So yeah, so that was it. And I was still doing all this. The clarinet Clarinet stuff, stuff on yep. the side. And, and so outside... So by this stage, I'd, I'd given up any sports because there was no way I didn't have any time for yep. that because I was doing all this community stuff. So then I started, um, you know, traveling the world with these bands. So the, the, the leader of or the band leader of, of the Hornsby Concert Band, Victor Greaves, um, he also was the, the musical director of this thing called the City of Sydney Concert Band. And that um, – was the the official band of the city, you know. So when the Queen came, they called upon us to do the marching ceremonies and play in the town hall and all that sort of stuff. And in 1988, we had our bicentenary re, um, reenactment where the this um, the first fleet left from Portsmouth again. I don't know if you know about this, but back in 88, they reenacted the, the, the coming of the first fleet so that right. all these ships left Portsmouth and they did the same route that Captain Cook or you know, did right, and, and right. came to Australia a year later. So we were asked to go to Portsmouth and represent Sydney for this whole thing. Um, so we got to march in front of the Queen, all that sort of thing. But um, Victor was in, he was in charge of this other band, the City of Sydney Concert Band, and I was only in the Hornsby Concert Band, but some players crossed over, you know, it was kind of, you know, but it wasn't the same thing. So anyway, Victor came to mum and said, look, you know, I really need another snare drummer. Um, and I th- and I know that Simon can play the drums. I've not really heard him. So would he like to try out? So I tried out and I became the marching snare drummer oh, in, in the City of Sydney concert band. So now I have two sets of uniforms, two two more, you know, ba- or two bands outside of school. Two um, separate instruments. Two separate instruments. Yeah. And then what happened was with the City Band, um, that became my main thing. I started because that was the band that was traveling a lot. So yeah. I got to go go to Europe, we went to France, we went to England, we went to America, San Francisco, all of these, oh, and Nagoya in, in Japan because these are all the sister cities of Sydney. So we got to go there and we were billeted out by all these different families and it was just amazing. Well, what an experience. And this is all before great. I was like out of high school. Far out, that's cool, man. And, and so when we would, and it was a marching band. Mm. The, the Hornsby Concert Band didn't start marching until they became the Golden Kangaroos. Because Victor then started bringing back the marching thing to the kangaroos and, and, and then they became this band that was trying to, um, you know, be like the American marching bands that you see at, this, at the football games where they're doing all the crazy moves and all that sort yep. of stuff. We, the, the city band, would, we would just march up and down the street in yep. a parade. We didn't really do all the fancy stuff. Right. We started to but it was just basically marching like a traditional marching band, you gotcha, know, from gotcha. England or whatnot or a pipe band. So... Um, so, yeah, so when in the city band, when we would do concerts, sit-down concerts in the, at the town hall or whatnot, I would play the clarinet mainly. And then when we would march, I would play the snare drum. And then eventually I, I went on to the quad toms, you know, the, the toms. And then eventually after that, when I was in my early 20s, late teens, early 20s, I became the drum major of that. So that was that progression there. And then I was like, well, I can't really keep doing the community stuff anymore because now I'm taking my life my music more professionally and and so that's kind of where that sort of faded off but it was interesting i had a bunch of people last night 
came to the gig that were in that in those bands. Oh, great! So it was like a you know old friends, new friends. Last night it was yeah, it would have been a trip. Yeah, that would have been cool. So yeah, that was my that was my my journey in in you know up until seventeen, eighteen, and then right. Um, and is is that when you started looking at the at the con? Was it the con? Did you say? Yeah, the yeah, yeah. Time. yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it? Were you starting to think that way? Um, it was yeah. In in high school when I was doing my HSC, I that was my saving grace. By the way, like I flunked at pretty much everything else. I couldn't. I, I I struggled at reading, spelling, math. Me too, man. My my mother never got me diagnosed. She was like against all of that sort of thing. But I had all the traits of dyslexia. Okay. The gift of dyslexia, you know, right, right. which it is. You know, it's given me, um, you know, a lot of amazing experiences. You know, um, you know, Einstein was dyslexic apparently you know oh, right, a lot okay. of famous people have been have been that way because they're visionaries they can see things and hear things in their head but they you know might not be able to read it or not anyway um so i lost my train of thought where were we going with oh the con, the con yeah. yeah so oh, you, the, you'd, you'd flunked your yeah so i was like flunking all that the only thing that got through got me through hsc barely was doing two unit music performing so clarinet and drums at the same time my performance was eight songs eight pieces and half of them were on clarinet and half were on drums and, and arranged from um you know classical clarinet to the golden wedding and i got my drum teacher to play drums right that old song um, to uh, me hopping on the drums and playing cute. That old jazz standard. To uh, a song called Oh My God by The Police. And, um, you know, just rocking it out. So, like, I did all of these styles. And that's really my personality too. Like, I love playing different styles of music. Great. Um, but when I was doing all of that, yes, of course, you're thinking, what are you going to do in the future? Like, where are you going with this? And the only really, the only real thing that was available to us back in the in the early 90s was the conservatorium like the the um, institute of music didn't exist at that at that stage i probably would have done something more contemporary um because i wasn't really a jazz player when i first got into the con um i was still swinging the wrong way i was still emphasizing one and three ding 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 right <laughs> and i don't know how i got in doing that but anyway i flipped it somehow and um and you know fell in love with jazz um, but I didn't get in the first time. The first time I flunked the audition straight out of school. So I was like, okay, well, who who are these people in the audition? It was Mike Knock and Judy Bailey and David Jones. He was the head of drumming in, in right. at that time at yep. the con. So I thought, right, I'm going to get lessons with David. So I went off and got lessons with him for a couple of years, you know, uh, even after I you know got into the con. But, um, yeah, that was kind of my road there and um, – yeah, so I flunked the first time and then got in the second time and and stayed there for two years, and then got out and started playing on the scene. So. Right. How how did you meet Dave Goodman? Well, Dave went to the con as well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. What so I'm, he yeah. was he was either a year below me or two years below. Oh, me. right. Okay. Yep. Um, because I was only there for two years, so he has he had to be there for a, 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 the year below me. He had to be there below uh, me okay. on that one. Um, so yeah, and, and I remember him coming to a couple of my gigs and was in awe of you know, me playing and all that sort of stuff. And now, you know, I look at him because he's really gone the jazz route. You know, yeah. I, I kind of went back into pop and groove stuff and, um, and and uh, you know, so now I'm in awe of him and his playing. Right, right. <laughs> so it's it's a cool relationship that we have. Do you yeah. know what he's done with his technique with his left hand? Did you, I you... only just found out about right, that. Right, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I need to talk to him and catch up with him about that. Well, and... if, if you get a chance, catch the episode 
that, that we did, and yeah. it goes right into it. Oh, okay, cool, because I haven't yet. This new, new technique. and Right, right. But, yeah, I can, I'm, I'm I can catch- only imagine that because, you know, after playing for so long, traditional grip and then going to match grip. Like, yeah. I remember when I joined that City of Sydney concert band, I'd already been playing rock drums for four, yep. four years or something. Yep. Match grip. And then yep. to get in these bands, we had the the old snare drum on the brace, you know, so on the on the strap, and so the snare was on an angle, and and we had to do traditional grip, yep. and that was clunky and it was mm. awkward, and I felt like a beginner again, you know. Yep. So, you know, I know Dave Weckl changed his grip, and a lot of top musicians have like, you know, through their career have have made some huge changes. I can only imagine that that would, you know be quite an ordeal to go through that but also a discovery yeah. too I'm, yeah I'm sure yeah Dave well that's that's how he's taken it yeah but beautiful it, sure it was a bit scary at first he's yeah. starting to get these pains and right yeah i mean yeah but yeah. no he's yeah he's killing it yeah yeah, yeah he's doing absolutely. good. cool so um now straight out of the con yeah what, what was the plan well judy bailey was trying to get me to do the bachelor of music because it had just come in the year before me so oh, who were some of those guys michael quigley before me um um Gosh, I can't even remember some of their names, but a lot of those guys um, were were going and doing the four year. Oh, was it four or three? I think it was at four years, and I was like, ah, you know, being like not very academic. I don't want to stay in college for another two years. I just wanted to get out there, you know. Yep. yep. Um, and Judy was trying to get me to do the two years, so I'd never got a bachelor degree. I don't still don't have a bachelor degree to this day. Um, and yeah, I just got out there and I started playing and and playing with a bunch of people. Todd Hardy on trumpet. Um, um, Dave Thieke on sax. We did some some gigs and and then I think it was actually the sec- yeah, it was the second year of of um, of the conservatorium that I oh actually it was Todd that came to me and said look there's a band they're like a funk band it's like an incognito brand new heavies Jamiroquai type band and they're looking for a trumpet player and um, and a drummer do you want to go to this audition so we went to this thing and. And that became, I guess, yeah, my first professional band um, after high school. Well, you know, after the, well, it was like the end of um, the conservatorium and, and then going into my early 20s. So I was about 18, 19, 20, 21 when I was in this band called Sister Kate. And it was just a bunch of musicians around Sydney and we would play places like Round Midnight, um, um, Har- uh, what was it called? Uh, Harborside Brasserie, Kinsella's mm-hmm. was another one. Mm-hmm. We would play downstairs and Dig would be upstairs. So yeah, Terrapai yeah. would be upstairs, <laughs> upstairs yeah, yeah. rocking out. And yeah. so, you know, in our breaks we'd run up and, oh, man, there's Terrapai. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we were playing all those sort of gigs and doing the graveyard shift at like 1 yep. o'clock in the morning and getting home smelling of cigarette smoke because it was still, you know, it wasn't banned back then. It was all yep. – but it was cool. It was rocking. And yeah, we'd make yep. maybe like 20 bucks. Oh, We got paid as well. Damn. <laughs> but back then, I know now it's yeah, like, are you kidding yeah, yeah. me? But back then it was like, wow, we get, we get some money too. We're professionals. We're professionals. Yeah, yeah. But it was a big band. It was like eight piece. We had like yep. three horns, two, two singers, keys, bass, guitar and drums and, and whatever that adds up to be, eight, mm. nine. Mm. Uh, so it was a big band. So we didn't make a lot of money but, um, oh, man, it was fun. And, we, and, and that's where I learned how to funk, how to groove. Yep. And my dear friend – uh, Franny Ardashir is the keyboard player. And she used to she played with Jeff Duff back in the day, and uh, she was the keyboard slash musical director of of that band. And she was I spoke to her the other day about this. I said you were the one that taught me about like you know how to listen to the bass drum and like you know listen to a boom, boom boom. Now listen to this bit, boom boom. It's only one, not two. 
And she was like, no, no, I, I didn't. I wasn't your teacher. I was just sharing my she passion you with aware. you. Yeah, yeah. She made me aware of that. Yeah. But she made me, she helped me listen to yep. everything a lot more clearer. And this is my second year at the conservatorium. So I was already like getting some better chops happening. Yeah. And then when it came to like playing incognito and, and imitating those guys mm. and Jamiroquai, it was just a natural progression. It's like, oh, here's my rock drumming coming through with a backbeat and yep. here's the jazz stuff blending. Yep. This is my jam. This yeah. is it. And, awesome. it. and it still has been. Like, you know, I still consider myself now a groove player or as they say in, in America, a pocket player. Pocket player, yeah. 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 Um, and how long did, did that uh, funk band go for? Um, good question. Probably about four or five years. Yep. And then a couple of things started splitting off. We started doing, because it was not profitable, we started doing smaller gigs and doing some uh, function work or yep. some little parties, but as a smaller band. So we called it Little Sister. Oh, cool! <laughs> and then, and then the singer and the bass player from that, those from those two bands, uh, Sister Kate and and um, Little Sister, we formed another band off off the side of that without Franey, and it was just bass, vocals, myself, and then this new guy. And I still need to ask him how did how did you come to play in the band? I don't know how he rocked up because he wasn't in any of these other bands. Um, Al Goodman, who's um, you know doing really well on the scene these days, mm-hmm. plays with Skunk Hour and played with Cameron Undy and that. Mm-hmm. Um, and boy, he played his ass off last night. Oh my god! Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I was like, I want to go back and play some of those old tunes because that was an original band. So in Sister Kate, we started writing original music, but it wasn't – we were basically playing covers of, you know, Jamiroquai and mm-hmm. Incognito, Brand New Heavies, that sort of stuff. Um, so we, we started spinning off this other band called Baseline and writing it all um, original material and Al was in that and Jason Bondi on bass, Sarah McGregor on vocals and me on drums. And we – I think we only played one gig and it was around midnight and I recorded it on my DAT machine and then I had my friend mix and master it and I've still got that. And then I made a copy of it and I sent it, sent it to everyone. Oh, cool. So it was nice to sort of preserve all of that. Yeah. Um, and, I've, and I've had those and, and I've listened to those songs often over the years. But this is, oh my God, this is like the end of the 90s, right? Um, yeah, like over 20 years ago now. And so over the years I've, I've listened to them and just like thought, wow, it was so cool. We'd just go to Jason's place and I'd drag my drums there and we'd sit there like on a Saturday afternoon and we would just write. We would just be in the moment we would play and Sarah would come up with l- vocals and lyrics and, and boom, we had a song and we recorded it and then, you know, we'd write the chords out or whatnot and then we, you know, did that again and again. And I just had so much fun. That was just perfect for me i got to play the music i wanted to play and i got to be creative i didn't have to read music i can i can read music but i didn't have to read music i much prefer improv and being in the moment and making stuff up which is what i do with my band a lot sci-fi in in new york right now but um back then yeah we 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 created i don't know maybe 12 15 songs 12 to 15 songs um and uh sarah's gone and recorded she did a solo album later and recorded some of those songs but basically the band fell apart and um and uh, I've, I've wanted to recreate that all this time, unconsciously, you know. And uh, so that's what sci-fi has become in New cool. York. That's cool. To like come to today. <laughs> right, yeah, 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 that's cool. Um, just going back a little bit, um, you were talking, you know, you, you were doing clarinet and drums. Yeah. Um, did you find it easy, to, like, because you were learning to read music mm-hmm. playing clarinet, clarinet yeah. when you were first jamming away at your snare drum, did you understand 
the different. Had you seen drum charts at that stage? No. No, okay. Yeah, it was so, all by ear. Yeah, yeah. And so, then I went and had lessons with when, Mark. Yeah, and that's right. when I started reading. Yeah. So how was that transition from, from, you know, reading reading uh, notes into just rhythm and then trying to change it to a different different place on the stave where it's not actually a note, it's a drum? Yeah. It was – It was. I, I could totally understand it. Like yeah. all that okay, training oh, right. was like, yeah, it was like, okay, well, that's where the snare drum is, that's where the right, hat okay. is, and that's where the bass drum is. Great. And it just stays there, you know. It doesn't move up and down. This, Which know, is a really cool thing. <laughs> it was cool. And, yeah. you know, it, it's, it was on, you know, sheet music. So, uh, you know, it was, it was the same language. It just looked right. a little different, but I, I took to it really easily. What I struggled with was um, – when I started, when I joined the City of Sydney concert band and started having to do all these drum cadences, for a rock drummer, that was, and, and traditional grip too, I was, you know, match grip. So for traditional grip, that was really, that was challenging. And yeah. I felt stupid and like, oh my God, I don't know any rudiments. And like, you know, because I've been practicing a lot on the clarinet and then just jamming out on the drums. I just, I didn't have that technique or that, that theory and the rudiments. Right. And so... So you were learning the written music before you knew how to play the quote-unquote rudiment. Yeah. Right. And I remember even then, like when I was older, which, yeah, right, okay. I still didn't even know what a paradiddle was. Right, I remember okay. going to a band camp and, 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 and saying, look, you better know how to play a paradiddle because I, I intellectually knew that that was something I should be teaching these kids and, and I couldn't... I mean, I could play it, but I wasn't very good at it. Right. And I was like, oh, my God. And that was the wake-up call. It was like, dude, you need to like really work on your rudiments. Um, so then I spent a lot of time just going back and, 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 you know, brushing up on all that's, those. That's fascinating. I find that fascinating. Yeah. So yeah. classically trained on the clarinet, but just jamming away on the old drums. Yeah, and then, yeah. And then, and but then, they, but they helped each other. Like I became yeah. a very rhythmic clarinet player. I could understand rhythm really right, well. Right, right, right. Um, and I became a very musical drummer and that's kind of how I got yeah, a lot yeah. of work. I didn't play heavy. I wasn't a loud player. I listened um, and now in the states they say Simon, you're a, you're a singer's drummer. Cool. And I'm like, oh, okay. I don't know what that really means, but thank you. I mean, I do know what it means. They uh, that's all they can really say. It's like you you really understand how to how to play the drums with a singer. You understand the frequencies, and you know don't go to the right cymbal if it's a female in that frequency. You know, like so I'm I'm sensitive to a lot of that stuff because cool. I'm you know musically trained. I'm not gotcha. just. It's not just like trained as a drummer. I'm going to go to a ride cymbal instead of the hi hat because it rings a, more. Because it's a chorus. Oh yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So it's done me very well in that in that regard. So I get a lot of work for um, you know in cabaret music in New York and um, and, and playing with a lot of singers, you yep. know, jazz singers and stuff. So before we get on the plane and, and fly to New York, yeah. um, what what is there anything you want to tell about up to the point where you left to go to New York? So we've sort of we're, Boy, we're in your there's f- a whole yeah there's yeah, a whole yeah. other life there yeah um, well musically I did I, I started getting very heavily into education so that was that's a big thing for me is like teaching teaching yeah yep, yeah yep. and I don't do I I still do it in some you know some teaching but you know I'm I'm focusing on my performing in New York but yep. um but it's been a big part of like who I am and I've loved you know, sharing that, the knowledge that I have and, and, and seeing other people go, oh, I get it now. You know, that, that's magic to me. Um, so I got heavily into, into teaching. So as soon as I left school, my first teaching job was back at St. Pius. My, my head of music, Jerry Plummer, gave me my first teaching job uh, on clarinet. So I had four 
beginner clarinet students and I sat in that room and I taught them. And then Dave Egan, who was my drum teacher, ended up leaving to go, I think he went somewhere else. Um, and, uh, and he approached me and Jerry approached me and said, look, would you like to take over from Dave? Because they already had Dave and they also had um, another guy called Des Egan who was teaching there at the time. So after a couple of years of playing, uh, teaching clarinet, I started teaching drums. So yeah, that's kind of, and, and it was, it was money. I was making money. I could buy a suit. I could, you know, yep. like buy a car with this and it was great. Yep, yep. So I got heavily into that. And, um, and then, you know, I was doing that all the way up until I left for New York. And the last bunch of teaching that I was doing was some private, um, not private, um, some preschools or primary schools around the Lane Cove area and Chatswood and stuff. But I was at Big Music in Crow's Nest. I lived across the road as they were building that place. And right. I went across there and I met all the guys and um, got a gig there. And, 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 and I was teaching like 30, 35, 40 students a week and then doing band stuff. And that's actually how I met Craig through Big Music. I was right. doing band coaching. Right. Started doing that. So, you know, through the term I was doing all this private teaching. And then in the holidays I would do band, uh, what do they call it, um, rock school or something. School of Rock. School of Rock, yeah. And, um, and so I didn't get a break. I'd just go all the way through it cause I loved it, but I would burn out. But, um, so I was teaching, you know, little kids in bands and, uh, and then adult bands as well. And one of the adult bands that I was teaching, the guitarist in that had a good friend who was this guy called Craig Calhoun and that's how we met. And then Craig was like, man, cause I was playing drums in that band. I was coaching them, but I played drums in it. There was a singer and guitar and blah, blah. Yep. And, uh, and Craig came along and was like, dude, like, where have you been? Who are you? And I'm like, I'm Simon Fishburne. And, and he was like, well, we need to like, okay, that's the past. So we need to hang out more. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I've got three months before I head to New York. And he's like, what? So that's kind of where I met Craig. And, um, you know, anyway, that's that journey. But the other thing that I did apart from teaching and, oh, I played in wedding bands. So I was big in, in the corporate scene as well. Okay. Um, again, it was just good money, you know. Um, were, you, were you in on the agencies, like on the agency rosters, or did you? Were you in bands that just we like we had agencies. independent bands? Okay, yeah, right. yeah. Yep. But it, I was a side person, so I don't know how they got the work. We just got the call. We've got a wedding in a month's time, and turn up at this time same same, like, what same I, band. Same Okay, yeah. What yeah. I was asking, like, there's some those wedding agencies where your names on that list, and okay, we need a band that day, and they call up. Simon and right. John and yeah. Jack and, and you get together, hi, I'm, and then you play these songs that they've given you right. to That's, learn. That, it's not, yeah. not that. No, that was okay. before a lot of that started happening. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. That's a band. Yeah, yep, yep, cool. Um, the, the Baker Baker Boys, right? Baker Boys, that's yeah, the yeah, one. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, I couldn't yeah, think yeah, of the yeah, name. I was yeah, racking yeah. my head about that too. Yep. They're now in New York and they do a similar thing there too. Right. But, um, yeah, that, that was before that that session sort of thing okay. happened. Um, yeah, well, I was in a band called Hypnosis, mm -hmm. spelled H-I-P, not H-Y-P as mm -hmm. in like watch my eyes and you will fall asleep. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, we, yeah, we, and that was with Paul Wynn. So he ran that band. Right. And, um, and then uh, that's how I met Melinda Jackson. Right. Um, Steve Crane and, you know, a whole bunch of other musicians um, playing in those bands. Um, and uh, even Adrian Cunningham, Craig Driscoll, who's a sax player in Sydney. And, um, yeah, so I was doing a whole bunch of that stuff and not really doing the original band scene. But Paul was doing some original stuff and he asked me to be in his band and then we formed the Paul Wynn Band and then we recorded an album. He was recording his solo album and then we recorded, um, you know, our first album where we, we co-wrote. I wrote some songs, he wrote some songs, we co-wrote some songs and we, we made an 11, 12 track 
album um, called Nothing's New. And um, yeah, we, we recorded that at 301 and then we, we ended up mixing and mastering it ourselves with another guy called Johan um, and uh, he was the bass player at the time. And uh, yeah, we had a lot of times, a lot of good times doing that and playing around Sydney. But that was the only original thing I was doing. Right. And we went to Melbourne once for some band festival and the guys down there were like, what's the Sydney scene like? And Paul and I looked at each other and we were like, we don't really know because we're in the wedding band circle. Right. So that was my life, teaching wedding bands and um, and wanting to be in an original band or wanting that original band to take off. Um, so when it came to like leaving for New York, that was like, oh, well, here's, my, here's an opportunity for me to restart my life and and – you know, press restart and uh, and and do that. Every, you know what I wanted to do, which was play more original bands. Um, so that's I was doing a lot of that stuff for 10, 15 odd years before I left. Yep. But the other thing that I did that a lot of people may or may not know about is I did a lot of personal development stuff on myself. Mm-hmm. I I knew very early in my life that I wasn't attracted to women, <laughs> but I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church and that was wrong. So, and it would wear, it would wear off, it would disappear. So I, you know, dated women and um, it, it it was kind of working, but not working. And it was all just going all pear so, Sorry, uh, um, pardon my naivety, but was that what, is that what they told you? That it would wear off? Yeah. Fuck me. Yeah, back in, back in. Christian boy schools, yeah, they would say, Fuck. you know, yeah, yeah, all boys go through this where you're intrigued about, you know, other guys and, and it'll, and it'll wear, wear off. off. Yeah. Oh, fuck me, dude. Yeah. Pardon me, I, I yeah. hadn't heard that before, sorry. Oh, so we can swear on this. Well, fuck, I hope you can. <laughs> <laughs> I've been very, being very polite. No, no, you are, you are being polite. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and it was something that I just kept hanging on to and um, there was also part of me that wanted to please my parents as well. Um and because I'm pretty straight acting, I got away with it. And playing the drums, I was cool, you know. So I hid my what, sexuality. What, they didn't think there was gay drummers? I didn't know that. Right. I, I didn't know there was, you know. Right. Um, it, it To me, it was always a masculine thing, you know. Right. So anyone that looked masculine or acted masculine was straight. Anyone that was, right. you know, like a fairy, you know, pansy or whatnot, they were gay. And I didn't fit that. So I was like, wait. I fit over here, but I also fit over there. And so I was very confused. You know, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I didn't actually come out until I was in my early to mid-20s mm-hmm. after a number of girlfriends and, mm-hmm. and that. Um, and it didn't wear off. And it didn't wear off. It didn't go away. Yeah, as much as I tried to, you know, do conversion therapy on myself. <laughs> Far out, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I was struggling, obviously, and I wasn't depressed or anything, but I was very much confused. Yeah. So at the time, I went and saw um, – I was seeing a, a, a naturopath because I had sinus issues when I was a kid too, some health issues. And so I saw her and she she was training to become a hypnotherapist and she said, Simon, do you want to do some hypnosis? I'm, I'm doing this stuff. And, and I was like, I don't know about that. And she was like, no, no, it's like guided meditation. Yeah. It's fun. And I used to have a couple of sessions with her and – and, uh, and she helped me, um, you know, come to terms with who I was and that it was okay. And she is of the LGBT community as well. Yep. 
I didn't know that. I guess I did know at the time. At the time, yeah, yep. you know, I was my gait. I was just totally off, and it still is to some degree. <laughs> I guess. That guy. Uh, no, he's not gay. Okay. okay. Um, and so, um, you know, she helped me with that, and then um, I also started seeing her friend, who was a counselor, and she had studied with or done some courses with Anthony Robbins. So towards the end of the 90s, I started getting into Anthony Robbins. I bought the the, the, the tape set and I started listening to this guy and I was like, wow, this is really cool shit, you know. At the time, I'd also been going and doing courses with uh, Wayne Dyer and Deepak Chopra. I was more of the spiritual thing, you know, yep. doing that sort yep. of route. But I started getting into Tony Robbins and 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 hearing what he had to say and it was just phenomenal. And then I just you know, started doing a lot of his courses. And and then I got to a point where I was going back and, and you know, this is all on the side of me doing weddings and all yep. this music stuff, right? Yep. So I had this other life. And um, and, and I'd go back and I'd, I'd go to these courses and, and do them for free, but I would um, be crew. So I would, you know, do a lot of the behind the scenes stuff and yep. run around and get people water and all that. But we got to be in that in that environment and that was amazing. And we also got coaching from the from the head coaches as well and our own little thing going on and it was it was a cool little scene yep. and um and it was so much fun and 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 and, and you'd learn so much about yourself and you're always improving and I was just like wow this is really cool and then it got to a point where my coach above me was saying well Simon why don't you do this more often like full-time or professionally I think you'd be really good because you're really good with people and I said well I can't I'm a musician and I've got this whole life over here and they and he said well why can't you do both and I was like I I don't know maybe maybe I can so what happened was you know with all the music teaching and the and the gigs that I was doing I was also studying neuro-linguistic programming NLP timeline therapy and hypnotherapy and I was like, wow, this is the stuff that my naturopath was doing with me all those years ago. And it kind of came full circle and it really completed me. It was helping me with my sexuality. It made me, I guess, a f- more fun person on the bandstand and off the stage too. And, and, and so it was like really working. So I did both of these things. And then, and then I became qualified in these. And then I had my own coaching, life coaching company called Awaken Awareness. And I would do little courses and run little workshops and train people in NLP and um, and I loved it because it's all about the brain and how the brain works and mm. being, I guess, lystexic, oops, <laughs> dyslexic, <laughs> there we go. Um, you did that on purpose, I, didn't no, you? I, no, it just came out like that, but I ran. Oh, really? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so being of that, uh, like that, you know, I loved all of that conceptual stuff and, and, you know, how the brain worked and when you think something, then you're going to behave like that and, and, and I also got to help people. I loved, I, I consider myself a people helper. And, and then what, what I found was then when I was going into bands and even now in New York, whenever I get into a band, I elevate the consciousness of it. Not on purpose, but I right. just, you know, if like there's conflict or if there's something that's adrift or something, somehow I manage to, you know, like um, support bringing those things into alignment and, and, and shifting the band up. So taking us from, you know, guys that get on stage in shorts to a full-on professional band that is recording and releasing stuff, you know. So I love taking startup bands and, and growing them, you know. And well, that's cool. Man. Yeah, it's it's great for, you know, where I'm at because there's, you know, so many of those sort of things happening in New York. So, mm. 
So that was my life too. But then yeah. when I went to New York, yep. I, I had I I had to let go of all of that. I had to yeah, let go well, of my let, business and yeah, all of that. Yeah, so. well, let's let's talk about how the decision came or or yeah. what happened to to make you decide that you go to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was teaching at Big Music, mm-hmm. as I said before, in Crow's Nest, and in walks this guitarist singer and starts teaching there. His name was Ben. He's now he's known by Ben Fields now, but his real name is Ben Field Fieldstein, and um, and that's how I knew him. and And he had an original band, and it was like, oh, an, an original band. And he and and so I went and checked his band out and listened to them online. He had a single out, and then his drummer moved to Byron Bay, and he asked me, would I like to join the band? And I was like, yeah, this is like my is that dream original? of like I want original, original music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be like that rock star. Still, like that's still yep, the dream. Yep, yep. But I was living, helping other people. Yep. I'd, I'd got into teaching and, and life coaching or, you know, even therapy, you know, like helping people, which was great, but I wasn't helping myself. I mean, it was helping me, but I wasn't living my dream. I, I put all that on hold. So when Ben came along, I jumped at it and we played in, around town um, and uh, in his band and and uh, and he, he warned me up front. He said, listen, when you join this band, I would just want you to know that it, like I'm, I'm working on moving back to an America because he was an American. He came out when he was 15. Um, his parents got work over here. So he'd lived 15 years in, in America and then he'd been in Australia for 15 years. So he was, in a, he was, he was quite a, a unique character. Um, excuse me. But he, um, he, he wrote some amazing songs and, and it was so much fun. And, and someone else who was in that band was Nick Southcott, who, who's a great keyboard player that I studied at the conservatorium with. And I think... No, no, I think he just happened to be in the band. That was really that was like a coincidence. Um, so it's it all seemed perfect, and um, and I played with him for about a year, and then he gave me the call and said, "My girlfriend has got a transfer. We're heading back to the states because he has a green card because he's American, right? right? He was born there and then moved to Australia, so he could just walk into the states." And he said, "Then, well, do you want to, you know, come with to the whole band?" and um, and everyone was like, no, we've got partners and, you know, we've got a life here. And I was like, no, 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 mate. You know, I've got my life coaching business. It's, it's starting to grow. It's starting to kick in. I'd done it for like maybe five or six years. So it was starting to like reap some some good benefits, some results. And um, and I have all this teaching. I can't just like let go of this at the age of 37 and just go and live my dream. Hmm. And then I started <laughs> attracting clients in my therapy sessions that were I'm coming to a crossroads in my career and, and I'm like, <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> Let's <What>? talk. <laughs> Let's talk, you know, and and it's so funny because, you know, anyone that knows anything about um, you know, the personal development world or or psychology knows that we only attract, you know, anything in our external world that I'm looking around your room, even you, I've attracted you in my life because you're a reflection of me. I wouldn't see you if you, if, if I wasn't already aligned with you and, and, you know, you, you just want to see it. It's a, it's a weird concept. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, and, and, and so, you know, I, I can now say I created this just as much as you created this, you know, this whole interaction that we're having right now. Yep. Um, so I was, really challenged going fuck what sort of life coach am i going to be if i don't do what i'm supporting these people with and so that was that was the that was it i was like okay 
And everyone was telling me, look, Simon, you can always come back. You can always do teaching. You can always join a band here. Like so many people loved me and I had so much support here. It was the, the combination of that and knowing that I, I just had to do this and, and, and go and, and, and live my dream so that I could become a better life coach if I want to go back to that at some point in the future. And so I said to Ben, okay, let's do it. And, uh, and then it was like, okay, now how do I do it? How do I actually get to the States? Because I'd already been to New York a couple of times and I'd already gone there for three months because you can be there for 90 days, you know. And I, I, I was there in 2001, just before the towers went down um, that whole year, doing a lot of Anthony Robbins stuff. And I had three months in between a couple of courses. One was in Miami and one was in Colorado. So I had three months. I was like, I'm going to go and live in New York. I'm not going to come back to Sydney. I'm going to go and live in New York. And I'll study a bit of acting and, and you know, take a guitar. And because that, you know, I, I started teaching myself guitar at the age of 26, 27. That was something that happened through this life changing personal development stuff that I was doing. Was I started opening up to, you know, the tennis racket thing that I yeah, wanted cool. to do as a kid. You yeah, know, yeah. I was like, go and buy that. And it was also go and buy a surfboard, or it's a boogie board, but, you know, bodyboard, um, go and take karate. You've always wanted to do karate. Go and do, go and buy a, you know, it was all this stuff that started happening at my, in my quarter life crisis. Um, so, so yeah, that's okay. I went down that path and now I'm, it's all right. bring me back, Stevie. <laughs> uh, well, I was just fascinated with that path you went down then. So I can't remember yeah, where we came from. I know it's interesting, <laughs> isn't it? So, yes. um, you know, I, I had that life coaching. Oh, yeah. So you, you, the 90 days. Oh, yes. The yep. 90 days while I was in New York. Yeah. And, um, and so I lived there and I was the singer-songwriter. And, yep. you know, I, I wasn't a drummer then. I gave up playing the drums for a moment there and I was the singer-songwriter. And I thought that's, that's going to be the, the ticket for me. And, and I was already writing a lot of stuff as well on the guitar and singing a bit, getting some singing lessons from Marion Ruvis, who's Diana Ruvis' mother. Yeah. You know her. Yep. Um, and this was in, when Diana was like, I don't know, 16, 17, would come in and, and demonstrate her mother's techniques and I'd be like, ooh, you can sing. Mm. What a cool <laughs> so, human she is. She's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I got singing lessons with her through through um, Diana. But mm-hmm. um, and, um, and and so I was, you know, I'd, I'd had this new identity. I was the singer-songwriter and, and this is going to fulfill me, um, which it didn't. I mean, it does and it still does because I do sing and play guitar and I write music and I do children's music now with a lot of this stuff. But but drumming is just, it's my number one calling and I just, I go crazy if I don't bang the skins, you mm-hmm. know. You'd know about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that three months in New York, I tried to live there and, and thought, you know, this is going to be my ticket. I'm going to try and stay there and... I had no idea. I was so naive. I just thought I'd be able to just stay there. I mean, I knew I had to catch a plane out of there six days before the towers came down. I was in Hawaii doing another Anthony Robbins course when the towers came down, oh, which was shit. really insane. Um, but then I came back to Sydney and I tried to recreate New York and I lived in Darlinghurst and it oh, just right. was not the same. I mean, it was great, but it just was not the same. And right. So I'd always had that affinity and that love for New York and growing up on Sesame Street and the Muppets and, you know, that whole thing and, and um, you know, a lot of American sitcoms um, and yep. stuff. And, Walking and down the street and every house has a whole bunch mm-hmm. of steps up to the... Yeah, 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 yep, yep, the stoops, yeah, yep. yeah, on those brownstones. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, when I went to New York that first time, it was in 97, I went for the JVC Jazz Festival and... Um, Saw Jeff Tame Watts and um, Elvin Jones and oh wow you know 
just a whole bunch of musicians. Oh my God, it was insane. I was there for four days and that was my first like, you know, New York experience and then I got the heck out of there. So that was my first taste and I remember touching down going, ooh, I'm home, catching myself saying, ooh, I'm home. That was weird Mm. and I still think that's weird. But (laughs) um, maybe a past life thing or something. But um, that was my first taste and then so, yeah, I already had, by the time Ben said let's go to New York, I'd already had that (gasps) New York, you know. But at 37, I wasn't about to, you know, drop everything and become a 21-year-old in a rock band again. Mm -hmm. But I had the support of my parents and family and they said, look, just do it for a year or, or you can always come back. You'll kick yourself if you don't do it. That's right. And it was one of the best things I ever did. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but it took me like about eight or nine months. So I rang up Adrian Cunningham. Dude, how are you living in New York? He's like, I got you. Get in contact with this lawyer. He's my lawyer. You need to go for the O-1 visa. I've got a note there. I was going to ask you about that because I first time I'd ever heard of that was when you – when you contacted me and said oh, right. that you're on the you're on the O one visa, and I'm yeah. like, "What's the O one visa?" I'm going to ask him about the O one visa. Yeah, yeah, so the O one it. visa. Of, it's um, it's the extraordinary ability visa, right? So, Adrian said, "Yeah, it's the extraordinary uh, extraordinary ability visa." I'm like, "What?" Yeah, you got to prove yourself of extraordinary ability to go to the states. I'm like. Oh, I don't know about that. I, you know, I hadn't really played. I hadn't met Craig. Cow- I wasn't playing at that level. I was still like doing weddings and stuff. No one knew me. I didn't. I don't have any endorsements. And how am I going to do that? He's like, don't worry. Like, I'm sure you've got memorabilia and 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 posters of things and photos and um, a couple of articles online and CDs that you've recorded. I'm like, yeah, 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 I've got a couple of those. Start putting it together in a portfolio. Start going through your whole music life and just start, you know, recording it visually on a on a you know, spreadsheet or whatnot. So uh, I got in contact with a lawyer and, and started doing this, this process. And um, lo and behold, mm, I think it was about eight months, nine months later, I got the visa come through and I moved in January of 2012. But through all of that process, Ben had already been there for about eight or nine months. Right. He, he, he just, they went, you know. Yep. They said, we're going, we'll, you know, catch us up kind of thing. So in that time, Ben had had realized that New York is not a band town necessarily. It can be, and I'm in bands there, but it's tougher. It's it's a session musician town. Mm-hmm. It's not like some little quiet town where you're in one band and you go and rehearse like, you know, on the weekends <laughs> yep, or every yep. week. Um, you, you're, you're a hired gun over there and you get called up and you get paid to do stuff and you're not really in the band. You're just doing yep. contract work. So he went through this whole process and went through a bit of a depression around it because he really wanted to have a band. and, and um, But his big goal was to get signed and he wanted to get signed with uh, Warner Music and so he, he did that. Through Specifically his, Warner Music? Well, he had a, a, a contact um, oh, okay. through, through that and, um, and being of um, Jewish heritage as well, he connected with the head of, of the music department, oh, the, the record label. And um, and just stormed through and, you know, just basically said, here I am. And they signed him up on the, under one of their, you know, smaller labels for a year. And, um, you know, they helped kind of produce the, the record and I couldn't even get on there and play a shaker, you know, or anything. He wanted me to get on there and play something, but I couldn't. And and so that kind of fell apart. And, and so he was like, look, man, I, I you know, I, you're going to have to come over here and do some other stuff because mm. it's not going to happen yep. that way anymore um 
and I was like, look, I'm already well and truly into the process. And he said, look, I'll still sponsor you to come here, but, you know, things have changed. So through that eight months, I was like, okay, well now the, the goalpost has changed. I'm not going to be playing in Ben's band anymore. I'm going to have to, you know, find other work. So that's when I started like reaching out to people like Sean Wayland and um, uh, Neville Legreen is a bass player over there who's an Australian expat. He's been there for a number of years and he really looked after me. He gave me some, you know, some some kids to to, to um, teach when I when I first got over there as well. But um, he introduced me to Richie Canada's jam session. Richie Canada's the sax player, the old sax player from um, Billy Joel's band. Mm-hmm. And he has a jam at the Bitter End on every Monday night and has killer musicians. Right. And I remember going with Ben um, when I got to New York to these jam sessions and just being totally intimidated. <sighs> they were like mean looking, like criminal like <laughs> guys that – played the shit out of the instruments and I'm like, one of these days I'm probably going to end up playing with them. Oh, my God, you know. It took me about <laughs> three three visits to actually sign up in the jam session yep. and then I got my – that's when I started getting my ass kicked. <laughs> yeah. But Ben was still a good friend of mine. I went and stayed with him when I first got there but he was still like, look, you know, you can come and stay with me for a bit but you've got to do your own thing, you know. The funny thing was I got known as the drummer that lived in the tent – so when I got to New York, Ben had already been there for, you know, a bunch of months, right? And he took his dog with him um, that he had here. So they, him and his girlfriend needed this apartment that had a balcony in Williamsburg. Excuse me. And, um, and so the seventh floor of an old confectionery factory was converted into apartments and they had this, this one-bedroom apartment with a huge balcony where the dog could run around and poop and all that stuff. But they set this tent up. It's like a marquee, a white marquee tent. And apparently before I got there, his parents had stayed in it, some friends, you know, like people would come and stay on, on this blow-up mattress with heaters because it was the winter. I got there I in January. Say, it's the was middle it winter? of the winter. Yeah, Two heaters um, in this tent. And and the, the first morning I woke up, it was billowing like a like a – you know, I don't know, it was like a squeeze box, right? It was like, <laughs> you know, and I could hear the traffic on the Williamsburg Bridge and the sun was bright and I'm like, what is this about? It was crazy because the pictures were like really cool. They, he decked it out with a little lamp and some, some, you know, some other cool stuff, a painting in this tent and all this sort of stuff. Um, it looked like the Ritz in these photos, but really it was just a blow-up tent with a bunch of <laughs> shit in it, really, and and it was tied down to this this balcony. And I was like, it was so funny. It was just so random. I was posting on Facebook and Sean Whalen, um, I think, he's, is he traveling here at the moment? He comes back to Australia. He's an Australian keyboard player, if you're not familiar with him, um, who lives in New York. And um, he saw my post and was like, what? So he he started posting online saying, you know, my this dude, Simon Fishburne, just come from Australia and he's living in a tent. Does anyone have any accommodation for him? So that's how I got out of the tent. I lived in that tent for a week and a half. And, and it snowed and um, it had icicles on it. And oh, one man. night I actually crept into the house and slept in the house. <laughs> and Ben went ballistic. He's like, no, get back in the tent. I'm like, okay. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Some slave shit. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit. It was a bit. Sorry, Ben, for telling that. But yeah. it was pretty funny. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that was that – was, and then I got known as, oh, you're the drummer that lived in the tent. So that was that was a good start to my New York experience. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and, and Ben and I are still friends. He's got a couple of kids. He now lives in in Nashville and doing 
you know, more of a, he he left Warner and um and um you know went more of an Americana route because he was playing here in Sydney with a bunch of jazz musicians, so it was like funky and groovy. But when he went to the states, he really wanted to go back to that Americana, like boom, 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 and I was like boom, you know, I was like doing all that shit, and so it wasn't really a fit in the first place. We we liked each other and we're good friends, so that's kind yep. of what held us together all that time. But musically, it wasn't it wasn't the best fit and for where he wanted to go. But we still keep in contact, and and I haven't visited him in, in Nashville, but um, he's down there with his studio and his kids and his wife, and you know, doing what he loves. And um, I'm doing stuff in New York. Great. Um, when did the sci-fi band start up? Ooh, the sci-fi band started. Um, this incarnation of it started about two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Or was it, no, three years ago now. It was like March. Yeah, 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 yeah. Three years ago I was visiting Australia and then I came back and I started my band in New York. But I tried to start it in Sydney um, many, many years ago. I'd created this concept called The Couch or Couch. I called it Couch. And I had this folder and I had all these, you know, songs that I wanted to play and the type of players that I wanted to play with and, and the type of gigs that I wanted to play, which was like going to like rich people's houses and playing parties by the pool just playing funky shit yep with cool musicians like phil stack right i went to the we, i studied with phil stack um thirsty merc bass player and and james morrison right um and um and we had a little, him todd hardy and and a couple of other guys we had this this band called uh, what was it called moments notice and we would play those sort of parties and we wouldn't rehearse we would just get in there and we would yep. we all you know we all spoke the same language so we'd say okay what are we going to play watermelon man you know just those standard funk pocket tunes and i loved that stuff i loved that and i loved just playing in the moment and making shit up and then the next gig would be totally different and that was cool too you know um so i'd always wanted to recreate something like that and then i started calling my thing couch and the concept of that was I wanted to invite people on my couch and we just play some music and if you want to leave the couch you can go away and someone else will come and sit on the couch cool so that was the kind of concept gotcha. and that's kind of what sci-fi is or was until probably about a year year and a half ago when I realized that I just want to keep playing with these good the musicians cats, yeah because yeah, I'm a band guy I grew gotcha. up on the north shore of Sydney in bands and not as a session drummer. So that's kind of, you know, that. So, But we, we've got a nice blend. We do improv stuff, but yep. we, we're forming more of a band now. Um, but when I did move to New York, I was with Neville Green and a couple of other musicians in, in New York. Um, and I called it Sci-Fi in the City Sleuth. And it was, it was Couch incarnated in New York. And we did one gig. It was a, it was a charity thing. And um, it was cool. You know, we got to play all those jazz standard funk jazz standard stuff um but something wasn't quite right you know and it, and and then i started going what is it what is it and and then i bought i was working with another band where i had the the um trigger pads you know i was triggering samples and stuff and started getting into that and then and then i realized that i could buy samples of like electro pop stuff and you know trigger these things dun, 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 like keyboard parts and stuff like that and i thought wow what if i could just like trigger that shit and maybe get a bass player and a singer and keep it as a small band, but yeah. like play around just yep. triggering stuff and yep. jamming on it. Yep. So that's when I reached out to a couple of musicians that I'd played with in some bands in New York and 
and said, you know, I've got this concept of like I'm going to trigger these samples and we're just going to jam over them. So it's like a funk jam band thing. And so for a number of years, that's what we did. And I just kept getting all these different tri- uh, samples and we'd get together maybe once before a show. I didn't want to over-rehearse because I didn't want to form songs. I just wanted to be in the moment and create these vibes. But it wasn't really elevating. It was kind of like, it was cool and we would go places and it was, you know, the soloist would take it out there and we'd bring it back down, we'd break it down. Um, but then we needed to like form more choruses. Like the singers were just standing there going, ooh, la, 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 don't know what I'm singing. Sample number one. Sample number la, 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 one. Sample number four. Right. La, la, la. Yeah, gotcha. So, so then at the time the guitarist that I was using and now my producer said, look, I'll produce this stuff, but I reckon we should take that sample and that sample and make a song. I think that sample and that sample will go really well together. We'll write a chorus and a verse, bridge and, and, and a form. And I was like, oh, I don't know about that. I want to just kind of keep in the moment and just have this kind of thing that, you know, we just do in the moment. I don't want to have like formulated songs that we're going to rehearse and that's too much, you know. Um, but it's not. And now it's like really where I want to be going is like creating a band and forming songs and, and having the success that we're starting to to have now with the band, which we'll get to in a minute, I'm sure. Fantastic. Well, let's talk about that then. Okay. (laughs) So I released the first single, Calling Out Your Name, in uh, November of last year, 2018. And, you know, I self-promoted it. I put it on TuneCore and and, um, released it on Spotify and iTunes and everything, you know, Pandora. Is it on YouTube? And it's on YouTube, yeah. Yeah, it's on there as well. Keep talking. Um, And... um, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any way. I, I mean, I was just doing a bit of research myself on how to promote a song. And, um, you know, the band wasn't a band then. They were just hired guns. So it was just me. So I was like trying to do all this stuff myself, working out how to, how to get this song out there. And, and then I found this website um, that escapes me right now. And, uh, oh, yeah. I'll skip. Don't worry about the ads. The ad. I'm, yeah. I'm getting some money for that. I don't know. Um, that's it. And we, um, what was I going to say? I can't remember what I was saying. Oh, yeah, that's right. I was trying to promote it myself and on Facebook and all that, but I didn't know what I was doing. So I was, um, you know, just lost. And, I, you know, the song isn't, I don't know how many hits that's got or how many plays. I mean, it's got maybe a couple of thousand on 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 Spotify and, and that. And it was just really in my circles. I wasn't reaching anywhere. And right. I'm like, it's okay. It's, my first, it's our first song. You know, I'm learning. Um, and I was trying to get like a, a blog to do something with it or get on a Spotify playlist. And that's the new that's thing. That's the new thing. Yeah. You get on those influencers playlists. That's say. right. I don't know how you do it. Yeah. you just got to – it's just got to be there and someone's got to hear it that day. That's – there's not much else you can do, yeah, really, eh? That's it. That's mm. it. Yeah. Um, mm. I mean, there's people in, in the middle that can help you, you know, get to those people. Yep. But, you know, it, it, it does take a little bit of time to to nurture those relationships and get to those influences. Mm. Um I'll, I'll link like any links that you've got to mm-hmm. that stuff, I'll put in the show notes of this. Oh, cool. Yep. Great. Cool. Thank you. Um, so, you know, it was about okay, well, you know, it's the first song and We'd only recorded two songs. I wasn't recording an EP or I wasn't doing a, an album. You know, I'd heard that singles are the way to go these days. So record a song and put it out there and, and then, you know, have another one back, you know, to yep. back it up and then keep recording and keep, you know, putting content out. So that's kind of the, the route that I'm going in. And um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, you know, in my circles were my drum students and their parents. So I, once I released it, I messaged all my drum students' parents about this song. And, um, and one of them is an editor on a TV show called um, Tales of the City. And she's worked on stuff like the, the Get Down, which was a Baz Luhrmann um, TV show that he did about the Bronx in New York. She's worked on um, a movie called Monsoon Wedding, which was a great movie that was out a bunch of years ago. And she was the music editor and the editor on that. Um, so she started using my song. I didn't know this. She actually, actually for like one of the scenes that she was editing, she put my song in there. And I came out of one of my children's classes and I got this text message, Simon, I've been using your song for one of the episodes of Tales of the City. She'd already told me that she was working on this show, um, but I hadn't really thought much about it. You know, I hadn't linked that I could, you know, sync music yep. through some of these parents that I'm, you know, teaching their kids. Um, and uh, I got this, you know, this text message and, um, you know, I've been sitting on it for a, she said, I've been sitting on it for a whole month because I wanted to make sure that everybody in the production team was on board, including the producers and the directors and stuff. And I'm happy to say that um, we're going to keep the song in the actual show. Oh, fantastic. And so the music supervisor from NBC Universal will be reaching out to you and uh, the show is going to be um, – it's, it's an NBC production for Netflix. And I'm like, oh, NBC? Wow, wasn't that the same um, uh, studio that Jerry and, and George <laughs> Seinfeld went to? And <laughs> So that was kind of funny. And, um, and Netflix, of course, I, I watch Netflix all the time. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, oh, my God, this is insane. So, yeah, I mean, watch, watch those. Hopefully in about three or four months, watch those, those numbers spike. Because it's going to be on episode nine of Tales of the City, which is, um, I think it's due out. They don't have a, a date, a specific date yet, but it's going to be released in the spring, summertime in New York. So that's the fall or like late fall, winter here. So around May, June, maybe. Great, man. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Yep. And the second song, Don't, um, what's it called? Uh, <laughs> don't, don't Let Me Go, or Don't, no, Don't Let Go, Don't Let Go, um, is, um, is going to be coming out through a distribution deal with Ropadope Records, which is a little boutique label over in the States that uh, um, Snarky Puppy and Christian McBride and Nate Smith have all released stuff with, even uh, Charlie Hunter, a um, whole bunch of other musicians as well. Um, and uh, I, my keyboard player, Adam Ahuja, I'll say that name again, Adam Ahuja, I just love like, saying his name. <laughs> Ahuja has his own little Lucky record. Lucky we checked that level because that, that was yeah. Ahuja. I told you. <laughs> so he, he has his own record label called Infinity Gritty and he's partnered with Ropadope Records and they're creating this, this community of like-minded kind of funk, jazz, funk, electro music bands and artists. And um, he plays in my band and he's like, let's release the next song through Ropadope. So that's going to happen on the 15th of March, 15 days time because today's the first. So in 15 days time we're releasing through Rope Dope Records and um, that's that's the second song. So it's like, wow, it's like all of a sudden things are starting to pop. Great, man. After seven years of being in New York. And they say, you know, if you can stick through the first seven years of any business, you'll start to reap the, the benefits and the results and that's starting to really happen now. So this episode will come out um, in about two weeks. But if you're listening to this now, 
it's actually now. Yeah. So just think about that for a second. <laughs> so um, Simon's new song's out now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go and check it out. We have a we have a um, you know Spotify channel and yep. uh, YouTube channel. Yep. I got to get happening with some. I want to get a remix for the song, um, the first song, and um, see if I can hit the clubs with that. You know, do the whole seal thing. You know, seal yep. kind of broke out through the club circuit, and I think you know my band is like a, it's a dance funk, um, electro pop outfit. You yep. know, and and it's a combination of my rock and my funk and my wedding band. Four on the floor, boom, boom. I mean, not every song's four on the floor. Gotcha. This next song is not a four on the floor, um, but it's that kind of groove stuff and. Um, uh, yeah, so that's kind of that's the scene with um, with sci-fi. That's really exciting, man. Yeah, yeah and things, now things are starting to happen. We've already yeah, and we've written a couple of new tunes. And uh, so the writing partnership with my singer Olivia Harris and Misha Savage, my producer slash guitarist, um, is working really well. And the other guys in the band, Lavondo Thomas on bass and Adam Ahuja on keys, we're all going to get together more and and create stuff as a band and move forward because they're going oh shit. It's going on. It's going on. T- it's getting on radio and and um, well, TV, I should say. Yeah, you know, yeah. With this Netflix thing, and we and, got and something here. We got something here. So that's all come together. You know, awesome. so it's all moving in that direction. Cool. Yeah. Fantastic. So you were telling me before we went on air that um, something about Drum Scene magazine. Yeah, Drum Scene. It was a uh, that was a magazine that I loved reading back here in Sydney, and I hadn't seen the the magazine in, a, in, a, in America that doesn't come out in America. And um, when I rang or got in contact with Dave Goodman to say, hey, listen, you know, I want to get some press around me coming back to Australia and doing this gig that I'm putting on, um, he said to reach out to Stevie Taylor, that's you, and, um, and also get in contact with Frank Corniola, who's run that magazine for 25 years. And um, I remember seeing Frank doing a drum clinic at Taramara Music <sighs> 40 odd years ago, something, no, no, no I, was, I was five. <laughs> That's not right. Um, 30 odd years ago, like when I, was a, when I was a kid, my dad took me to this clinic and, and Frank was, was the drummer that was doing this clinic with Sonor. And so I had that in with, with Frank. And, and so I emailed Frank and said, listen, I'd love to, you know, get some press in the magazine. And I remember coming and seeing you when I was 10 or 12 or whatever. And, um, and he was like, oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we hit it off and... And he said, man, I'd be happy to help you out with some, some, some press. Um, and so, yeah, we're doing an interview um, as we speak and um, that's going to come out in the second quarter. So when this interview comes out, January, February, March, it'll be the April, May, June right. um, edition of Drum Scene. So look out for a little interview there um, with yours truly. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So that's exciting. Tell us a little bit about Mr. Simon. Mr. Simon. Okay, I need to have some more water sure. before I do that. Sure. So talk amongst yourselves for a minute. Yeah, so Mr. Simon is um, something that just happened accidentally about three years ago. Um, I continued doing my personal development in New York, I, I did some landmark education courses and through that, you know, you make all these connections. And one of the one of my friends said, You should check out someone I know in Jersey City that does music with children, where he goes to schools and he performs, you know, music with children. I'm like, um yeah, I'm a I'm a serious musician. I'm not gonna do that, you know. So he um 
he said, I, I rang him up and, and, and said, you know, like I, I'm just going to follow through on, on this, you know, my friend set it up and so I'll, I'll give him a call. So I, I gave this guy a call and, um, and he said, uh, yeah, come out and see what I do. Have you got a guitar? And I said, yeah, I got a guitar. I just play it as a hobby, you know, and write a couple of tunes here and there, but it's mainly a hobby thing. He said, well, just by talking to you, I can tell you're going to be really good with kids. I'm like, mm-hmm. I've already got two nieces and a nephew who I adore and, and had so much fun, you know, before I moved to New York playing with them and um, helping raise them with my with my sister. And, um, and so I, I know I'm good with kids, but there was that, don't go there because your mum wants you to become a wiggle because there's a lot of money in it and I'm not doing this for the money. <laughs> And it's not serious. It's like, you know, it's a gag. I'm not going to be a clown. I'm not going to be up there going, yay. Well, like the dude in the rocket suit I was telling you about. Like the dude in the rocket suit you were telling me about. <laughs> yeah, all that all that shit. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. And um, so anyway, I went out with this guy and he was just a, a folk musician that sat there on, on the ground with these kids and and um, and played, you know, um, Wheels on the Bus and some other really cool tunes and um, and, you know, it was it was super easy and super fun, and I was shit scared. I was nervous as hell because kids, yeah, kids will are scary, man. Burn you, yeah, yeah. One of the scariest gigs I did was um, about four years ago at my daughter's preschool. Right. They asked me because they found out I was a drummer. They yeah. asked me if I could come in and do a performance, and I tell you what, I hardly slept the night before. Yep. And I got there, and you know, my daughter's standing right next to me, and she's kind of like. Like I could see, don't come on, this daddy, up, don't this fuck this all, up. <laughs> these are all my homies, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. yeah. Totally. And and, uh, and and they don't clap. Bloody kids. I know. I'm always going <laughs> yeah at the end of my things, and they'll they'll do what I do. But yeah, yeah. if you just stop a song, they'll just be like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't cut that dead silence. Out. No, no, no. That was a good one. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, so you know, I it took me like five shadows for, with him. Like I would shadow him. We call it shadowing. Okay, so gotcha. I would sit next to him and I'd kind of try and pick up the songs that he was doing and, you know, I shook some eggs and, and you know, stood up and did the actions while he played the guitar and all this sort of stuff. And um, and I actually really loved it. And I was like, okay, I can do this, you know. And, um, and then it took like five times before he actually – well, no, actually about maybe two, two shadows before I got the courage to do my own song or two. Because he said to me, like, what did you grow up listening to? I was like, mm, ABC and um, I don't know. Um, I can't even think of some of those songs right now. Um, you know, Old MacDonald and The Wheels on the Bus, all that sort of stuff. And and one song that came to mind was uh, the Kookaburra song. He said, oh, that's really cool. We, we know that song over here. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I learned a couple of those songs and I played them and I was shit scared like you were. And, um, and then... But afterwards I was like, this is the bomb. This is like totally cool. I'm rocking this. I'm loving it. And it's super easy. You know, I, I'm not a jazz guitarist. I, I know quite a few chords, but I don't, you know, yep. I don't solo or anything. I'm just a rhythm player. Yep. And this is perfect. And um, and and yeah, I ended up playing and, and doing a whole bunch of schools around New York and New Jersey for a number of years. And, and then I ended up, um, you know, moving out of that and doing my own thing and, and concentrating back on my on my drumming career um, a lot more and, and, and bands, that really started taking over again. And so I, I wanted to sort of like make that a, more of a focus. But then I, you know, during the day, I've got all this time during the day. So, you know, some mornings I go out and, and do Mr. Simon. So I've got a bunch of schools in my area in Brooklyn and, 
and um, and I go out and yeah, play for infant to five year olds. So anything from Fantastic. like six months where they're just crawling and you know rolling around on the floor yeah. to you know pre pre kindergarten pre yeah. pre K. It's great, man. It sounds like you're really you're making a go of it. Yeah, you're trying to yeah. You, well, you the, the funny thing with that is is, and I only really woke up to it just recently is that it's doing that stuff. I'm the rock star that I always wanted to be. Oh, yeah, All true. those years. Yeah, true. Because I walk into this room and they're like, Mr. Simon. <laughs> okay, no screaming, no screaming. But they come and they hug you. They, they A hug around the leg is like the, the equivalent of can I have your autograph? You yeah, know, that's yeah, how I take yeah. that. Yeah, that's cool, man. And high fives around the class and mm. and I make them laugh because I'm silly and goofy. and But I'm not a clown, but I'm I'm just me. And I'm not trying to be anything else, anything else but but that, and it brings it out. And if you saw me like playing last night, you know, Craig was like, you you were quite jovial last night, and you know, you were smiling and having a great time. It's like, yeah, because it it kind of um, cross pollinates, you know, the children's music and my adult music, I call it, now kind of cross pollinates, and so now I'm more goofy. My sci-fi shows yeah, and my yeah. rock bands, yep, um, and uh, you know, and then. I catch myself like rocking out like I was rocking out with Sting and Stuart Copeland or whatnot yeah. if I was playing in, a, in an adult band while I'm performing for three, four-year-olds, mm. you know. So I get to I get to do all of that. So Just I'm very that, blessed. It adds that little bit more to that elevation you were t- telling me about earlier. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. that little bit something extra in there. And That's I get to help cool. these kids, you know. I come in and it's their, they, a lot of them say it's their favourite, you know, the parents say to me it's their favourite day or their favourite part of coming to school is Mr. Simon. So, and then I get some birthday parties from it and I just, you know, go crazy at those things and yeah. Great, It's, man. it's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. And I'm writing music with that and doing a video and um, yeah. And then, and it was funny because I was thinking that they were separate, like sci-fi is over here and, and Mr. Simon is over here. But yep. I got to remember that the, I'm playing for these kids, but their parents are my you know, yeah, right. my, my demographic for sci-fi. Yeah. So wait a minute, hang on. Yeah, a minute. Yeah, this yeah. Is, you know, we can make this work. They don't have to be separated. It's all the same thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I now consider myself as a drummer but also a singer, guitarist and songwriter. Fantastic. Yeah. Really cool. Mate, awesome to talk to you today. Um, good to get your story. Yeah, man. Thanks um, for listening. And I'm excited to, to to follow sci-fi now and see what happens. And, yeah. And, um, yeah, really exciting. And um, again, yeah, thanks for talking to us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for listening. Cheers, Simon. Thank you. Cheers.